0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. On today's podcast, if you're confused about the status of various vaccine mandates, you're not alone. We're going to take a deep dive with one attorney who is on the front lines in several of these important court battles. I've covered various views about vaccine mandates. In my cover story on Full Measure a few weeks ago, we discussed it. You can find that if you missed it by going to fullmeasure.news and search vaccine mandates, you should be able to find the story. And I've also aired interviews with a big advocate for vaccine mandates, Professor Lawrence Gostin. I encourage you to watch the story and listen to these views if you haven't already done it, and also research what the White House is saying, what the CDC is saying about all these things. Those views on the pro-mandate side of the story tend to be widely broadcast and published. Today in this podcast, we're going to check in with an attorney who is opposed to vaccine mandates and fighting that battle in court on behalf of a number of groups. His name is Aaron Siri, and here's his interview. And I'll bet people are really confused because you got the you know, mandate from the federal government for federal workers. You have the federal government's mandate for contractors. You have the federal government's mandate for the military. Um, you have the one for private businesses with a hundred or more people what is the landscape in terms of i guess instead of going over each one one by one constantly changing what's happening are we moving toward a place where you sense or believe these mandates in general will be said that they can't be done or some of them will or they'll be <clears throat> pardon me they'll be narrowed what what do you see happening with these decisions so far
0: and so in broad scope um i think that most of biden's mandates will eventually be uh, uh, struck down for one reason, one reason or another, um, often because it exceeds it exceeds the scope of authority that the federal government has to require. For example, the 100 employee plus OSHA mandate, which has been stayed in the Sixth Circuit. My firm is one of the firms that filed a lawsuit in the Sixth Circuit. Um, I think that will remain struck down. I think that um, most of Biden's mandates... Will so on the federal level, I think that there won't be in mandates with regards to the 100 employees, um, with regards to hospitals, and with regards to federal contractors. Um, now on the state level, I think it's going to end up being a very mixed bag. Um, you know, I think it'll depend on uh, whether it's passed by the legislature in the state versus um, passed uh, adopted as an executive order or a decree by a mayor um and it might depend also whether or not it's passed by a city council versus the state legislature and so forth and it and it'll just depend on how the state laws and and constitution are structured and so forth and i think you're going to see a a, a big mix across the country not necessarily because any because some are constitutional and some aren't i think that you know uh, under the constitution um the promise of liberty I, i is if it doesn't mean that the government shouldn't be able to coerce what goes in or on your body, then I'm not sure what liberty really means. So I think they're all, I think that a fair reading of the constitution is that they're all unconstitutional, but that's a, you know, there's um there's also then the reality of how things will end up winding their way through the court system. So I think what you'll end up with is a mixed bag um, where you'll have looks at the moment, like a lot of the red states that have passed laws banning. Vaccine mandates. You have some done by um, executive order, by by the the, the governor's orders, on uh, prohibiting banning it, including some that's have also done that vis a vis mask. And of course, you have about twenty, uh, you have over twenty AGs, depending on which vaccine issue we're talking about, that have come out against vaccine mandates in one form or another. So you're going to end up with, in many ways, uh, you know, uh, I think. Parts, big parts of the country where there won't be mandates, where you can basically live your life like you did pre-COVID, um, and then there's going to be parts of the country that are going to go into this perpetual state of "show us your papers" to engage in civil society. Um, you know, as you know, you, you, even if you've gotten three shots, soon you're going to need four. It, it appears, according to F- Pfizer's recent statement, and um, it'll be interesting to see um, how how long folks in the bluer states tolerate that.
1: From a legal standpoint, although I think I heard you argue that none of these you think are constitutional due to liberty questions, but do you think there is a better argument to states deciding? Because I've heard some people say the federal government has never been allowed to make some sort of national vaccine mandate, but this is this is an issue that is Left to states, and that that could be more supportable. What do you think about the notion that if it's done at the state level, not the federal level, a mandate might be left to stand?
0: So, if it's done at the state level, then it won't um, it won't suffer some of the issues that that are um, plaguing, or I should say, are are causing the federal mandates to fail. So, for example, um, the 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 mandate that companies, the man, the federal mandate um, that companies with over 100 employees need to require the vaccine or test, um, the, one of the primary reasons that the Fifth Circuit initially now um, has stayed that mandate is because it said that the federal government, OSHA, doesn't have the authority, effectively, to, to require that. The, the federal government is is, in many ways, uh, has limited powers police powers are reserved for the state its primary ability to uh, regulate what occurs between states is through the commerce clause right interstate commerce and and here you know what the court said is that this is not you know this that and, and osha really's power kind of in, in large part derives from the commerce clause and that this wasn't about interstate commerce the court said this is uh, clearly about what biden said it was in his own words this was about a public health issue. Um, and, uh, you know, the virus is not contained to the workplace. And so it's plain that what, the, you know, what what the, uh, the Biden administration was trying to do is it was trying to um, address a larger public health issue in its view through um, uh, using piecemeal powers that it has. And here it, it was um, trying to use OSHA to require it in the workplace, but it's not a workplace health issue, all right? And it, it, when you leave your job, the virus is still occurring. It's not unique to the workplace. And so I think that, um, and, and I say this because this is what courts have been deciding now across the country, that these mandates at the federal level are, are likely to fail. And yes, the, it, those issues, the reason they're failing, are not issues that would arise on the state level, most for the most part.
1: One thing I've heard and something I haven't heard, When people are arguing about vaccine mandates, they talk about liberty and freedom and so on. And maybe this isn't an appropriate argument to make before the court, but I think they're leaving out a couple of really important points. Maybe there's a reason they are. The Vaccines aren't proving effective in terms of guaranteeing someone won't get COVID or spread COVID, we know that. Um, And they don't last very long. And someone who worked on one of the vaccines told me that on the front end, that RNA vaccines, he said, historically don't last very long or work very well. That's why we never uh, were able to release one or develop one for AIDS. And if that's the case, and if natural immunity is proven by virtually every study except data that CDC tries to put out from time to time to contradict it, if the studies show natural immunity is far superior if you've had COVID to vaccine-induced immunity, can these scientific arguments be made to the court or do you think they're being left out for, for some good reason?
0: We 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 have been making those arguments um, to the court, and for example, in the Sixth Circuit, um, you know, part of the reason we uh, we filed, we also filed a lawsuit on behalf of a a local uh, dealership, um, car dealership that had over 100 employees, uh, where where all of his competitors didn't. Right? You can imagine how that economically would work out for them. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that we were able to add, I believe, in our arguments that um, the other, some of the other um, plaintiffs that filed didn't was we made an argument with regards to natural immunity. Um, and we also made an argument uh, relating really to the science. But it is, they're more difficult to make often because courts just, you know, they've, judges are busy. They've got often on their docket thousands often of cases often. And getting into scientific questions can be complicated. And when the government uh, takes a a scientific position, um, I I would say, generally speaking, and it shouldn't be the case, but generally speaking, unfortunately, judges often shy away from wading into those scientific disputes. They don't want to be the arbiter of what the science says, and they will often default to what the, the government's position on the science is.
1: Well, I noticed one judge who temporarily suspended one aspect of the federal ban. I forget which one, maybe out of Louisiana, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. He started his order by saying something like, vaccines are very, the vaccines are very effective and they work. And this is not about that. And I'm thinking, well, what is he, what basis for that statement? That kind of worried me that he was making such a blanket statement. Certainly they're not effective in stopping You from getting infected or spread in terms of what used to be considered effectiveness for a vaccine. So, what does he mean by they're very effective? Why is he adopting that position and then, you know, without support promulgating it on his order, but nonetheless saying that he thought the um, mandates were probably unconstitutional? But it's just, it's interesting because, like you say, the judges obviously can't be scientific experts. And yet, I don't know, they, (laughs) they do, maybe that's what you said, tend to adopt the government default position, you know, whatever that may be. I
0: I call it cultural cognition and in, in the following, and I, and I mean, and this is what I mean by that, you know, for better or worse, when you have thousands of cases to decide, you have to rely on some of your own experience. You can't, you know, judges are only human. Their clerks are only human at the end of the day. And, um, um, and, and, and so, it, you know, at the end of the day, they, they have to rely on some of their existing knowledge, their background understanding of the world, you know, just you name it. And so um, that cultural cognition, that background knowledge, it, it works its way into cases, you know, in, in conscious and in unsubconscious ways. And, and what you just said is an example of it, I guess, which is that, you know, the, this judge probably just hears day and night vaccine is safe and effective and it's, you know, and and that's one. And two, the popular conception about vaccines is that they prevent infection and transmission. I mean, that's what most people think of when they think of a vaccine. Um, It's disjointing to even consider the notion for many people that a vaccine can reduce symptoms, but yet not prevent infection and transmission, which is what appears to be the case here, at least, you know, with Delta um, uh, for the COVID vaccines, um, not, as confirmed by the the director of the CDC, who said as much on CNN, right, that our, the vaccine cannot prevent, does not prevent transmission. That's why the CDC is telling vaccinated people to wear masks.
1: Well, that was after, I'll just point out, the head of CDC yep. falsely said it did prevent spread, and then she <laughs> had to be corrected. That's not the first piece of disinformation or misinformation CDC has put out, but
0: Yes, yeah, well, they've, well acknowledged, they've
1: acknowledged this now.
0: Yeah, but when the CDC does it, of course, uh, you know what they say is they're just following the science, um, and they change their position. Uh, in any so, yes, I, I understand, um, but I agree, I agree with your with your bigger point, which is which is that courts should take this into account if the vaccine, and 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 this goes back to my point about liberty interests if this product is not preventing transmission if what it's providing is personal protection then it's like taking a statin maybe statins reduce heart attacks and maybe that even you know reduces a burden on our healthcare system but we don't mandate people to take statins we don't mandate people to exercise yeah that'll make them healthier they'll probably live longer we don't mandate them to eat healthier that's everybody intuitively recognizes law, I hope so, <laughs> as an incredible, you know, uh, uh, um, 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 intrusion by the government on one's liberty interests of all stripes, right, I mean, I'll say it again, if, you know, if the government co- coerce what goes on or in your body, really, what rights do you have, and it's especially pernicious when it's a product that doesn't, that is personal protection.
1: Stick around, there's more after a short break. A few of you have asked how you can support independent journalism like you find at Full Measure and CherylAxon.com amid an increasingly managed and censored information landscape. At my website, Google Ads and Facebook have censored factual, footnoted, and cited posts. And Google demands daily that I remove dozens of pages from my website, which I won't do. These are factually accurate, cited news stories on topics that powerful interests apparently don't want you to know about. Well, now you can support off-narrative journalism by visiting the Cheryl Atkinson store at SherylAckeson.com for products that will tell the world you're an independent thinker And there are great gift ideas there for your independent thinking friends and family, too. Proceeds go to support a variety of independent journalism causes, besides maintaining the website, including funding college journalism awards for independent, off-narrative student reporting. You can make a difference. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, part two of something that I, I failed to bring up, but I think is also often not discussed in the equation, but it's the elephant in the room. The vaccines undeniably have adverse events. CDC admits it. The vaccine makers admit it. There's no medicine that doesn't have it. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily flawed or shouldn't be given or marketed, but you know the, the scope of the side effects and how prevalent they are and how serious they are, that can all be debated. We won't know for years the true profile, according to scientists, because some Some of that takes years to emerge and to evaluate, but you're not just asking somebody to do something benign like exercise more, which is normally fairly benign. You're asking them to take risks known and unknown, however slight you could argue they may be by taking a medicine that hasn't been on the market long and hasn't gone through the normal processes. So again, it's not as though it's just, oh, take something that could be good for you or don't. It's take something that could be good for you, but in some instances we know for sure is not good for some people and may even kill you. And, and again, I don't hear that argued very often.
0: Yeah, but, but, but would, Cheryl, wouldn't it be okay if they said, here, take it, but see, that's not what they're saying. Meaning if somebody came to me and said, here, take this pill, it's got a 90% chance of killing you. All I would say is thanks, but no thanks, right? If, some, if, if the only, if what was occurring was what you just described, which is people just saying, hey, take this. It's the problem is the mandate. The problem is the coercion.
1: But you're coercing, you're you're mandating something, I guess the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Mandating something that has a risk, a very real risk to some people and some more than others, an established risk. Absolutely. argue over it, but I don't hear people telling the courts, maybe you guys did that not only is the mandate wrong, but you're, you're forcing people to take a medicine that could potentially rarely kill you.
0: Well, the, 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 as you pointed out, the safety profile remains to be completely seen. So, you know, we, um, you know, in terms of rarely kill you, one has to reserve judgment, I think, until the, the long-term data is in. But with that said, um, and it may very well be the case, but to, to the bigger point, absolutely. Uh, you know the, the the way i hear all people often say that where there's a risk there must be a choice i like to just say there must be a choice <laughs> but um um but yes certainly when there is a risk there should be a choice um it shouldn't be that you're mandated to take it and, and then on top of it you can't even sue for injuries if you're harmed it, it's it's an incredible state of affairs honestly when i think anybody steps back and really thinks about it um but i i, um, I can say that in, in our papers we do out that there is a risk, and that's an additional layer to this as well. I completely agree.
1: And before we leave that you can't sue for harm, um, I'll mention to people that's more than just a financial thing. The There is an incentive for companies to avoid litigation, particularly if it could be very costly, and then a presumed disincentive to take care of known safety risks if they understand that they're protected From liability. And and we won't go too far down the rabbit hole today on this, but um, when, and this frequently happens, um, a drug company or a vaccine is found to be liable for an injury or a death, COVID aside, but just regular childhood vaccines and so on. The drug companies don't pay. Typically, this is paid from a fund that's generated, tell me if I'm wrong about this, by a fee that we pay on every dose of vaccine goes into a trust fund and the U.S. government defends the vaccine companies. They never have to pay a penny. They don't have to give discovery in court. We don't get to see their documents. This is a special arrangement that happens that some argue, and I think they're correct, is a disincentive for them to address safety issues because it never really costs them.
0: Uh, Yes, you're you're exactly right on on all of that, which is that, companies are there to make a profit. They have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize profits. And, and, in, and in many cases, that that's, can be a good thing. Um, it's, you know, for better or worse, the way we judge the value of a product in society is do the revenues exceed the expenses that occur in society? Well, um, you know, there's no, pretty much, no other product in America where you can't sue the manufacturer for injury. And the way that this arose for vaccines in general was that leading up to 1986, there were only three routine child vaccines used in the United States, MMR, DTP and OPV. And the liability from the harms caused by those products were numerous fold the revenue to the point where all the manufacturers got out of the business of making those products. And there was literally one manufacturer left for each of them. And the last manufacturer in particular for the DTP vaccine said, hey, we're pulling out um, and we're not going to make this anymore. Because according to the U.S. Supreme Court decision, actually, there was it's, its liabilities were 200 times its revenue. Congress, in its wisdom, instead of letting the company do what every other company does when it's faced with a product, with a car that explodes because its gas tank is not working right or or, has, or a plane is falling out of the sky because it's got some engine you know, uh, design issue, it forces them to make a better product, a safer product. But Congress in its wisdom instead decided, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to give you immunity from liability so that the parents of these children can't sue you. So that this way you can keep your product that's causing these injuries on the market and you can continue to sell it. And so instead of being able to sue the pharmaceutical companies for these injuries, what Congress set up as part of this uh, law, it passed in 1986 called the National Childhood Injury Act of 1986, is it set up what's known as, it's commonly known as vaccine court, which is what you were referring to. It's more technically known the vac- as the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, and it is part of the federal court of claims in Washington, DC. And if you're injured by a vaccine, Um, then pretty much all vaccines, you or your child, then you have to bring a claim in this specialized program. You don't get a judge that's uh, appointed under Article 3 of the Constitution. You get what's known as a special master. And as you pointed out, that program is funded by an excise tax. That's uh, every parent pays and every person pays for each dose of vaccine um, that they're given. In this program, you are suing the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, you are literally suing the head of the federal health agency, the very department in which CDC, NIH, FDA is located. You are suing the very people that also tell you the vaccine is safe. And if they do any safety study that shows that, let's say, X vaccine causes 1% of asthma cases, what are the lawyers in the vaccine court going to do? They're going to use that study against the federal government to establish liability. That creates an incredible conflict, structural conflict of interest in our federal health authorities conducting any safety study or admitting any safety issues, because you literally made them the defendant in vaccine court, statutorily mandated to fight against any claim that a vaccine causes injury. It's an incredible state of affairs in that regard. Now, in that program, you might think, well, maybe you can reveal the truth, but you can't. Because as you pointed out, Cheryl, you can't get depositions of the pharmaceutical companies. You can't uh, get documents from the pharmaceutical companies. Um, you can't do any discovery as of right. And the special masters will typically never let you. They will never let you, uh, as of, uh, in my experience, depose the pharma companies or get their documents. So you walk into vaccine court as, as an attorney for the injured individual with your hand strapped behind your back. You're fighting against a little law firm called the Department of Justice that happens to have all our money. They get to hire all the experts they want in the world. They have to, We have to provide at least three years of our clients medical records so they could try to poke holes and try to come up with any other di- you know basis for it. They've nonetheless had to pay over $4 billion in damages, but everything is under seal. So it's for the most part, except for the final decisions. Um, and, and so what you have is a system. And I think that for folks who you know, look at the COVID-19 vaccine and are, are a bit like befuddled about how our federal health authorities could be acting the way they are when it comes to it, I think understanding the bigger picture about vaccines helps understand the paradigm, the structure in which COVID-19 vaccines fell. Um, since 1986, pharmaceutical companies have basically been acting and operating in a landscape with impunity, impunity to accountability for any harms caused by any vaccine product. Um, if Viox were a vaccine, it would still be likely be safe and effective and still be on the market. How did Viox get off of the market? It got off because in a lawsuit against it, documents came out and discovery just showed the extent of the harms. And eventually there was no way to nowhere for the truth to hide. That's never going to happen for the most part with any vaccine because you can't get that information. So pharmaceutical companies, they don't really have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about these, these issues. And most vaccines since 1986, part of the reason why they were licensed and the clinical trials conducted um, had for the most part often days or weeks of safety review after injection, um, n- virtually zero of the trial of the vaccine had a placebo control group. And the size of the study was usually relatively underpowered. Drug companies would not want to do that. With um, with regular drugs, they actually do want to have a sense of the safety profile beforehand because they know they're on the hook if it causes harm. Not so when it comes to vaccines. So you you, you don't have, uh, but you can't really blame the pharmaceutical companies. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Their their job is to get drugs on the market as quickly as possible and make as much money as they can. So they're doing it well. Then that leaves us with the weaker form of protection when it comes to consumer products, the far weaker form, which is regulatory agencies. And here. The regulatory agency, as we've just discussed, is hopelessly conflicted. Normally, when there is a federal agency that is responsible for promoting something, like, for example, the the, the, uh, Department of Transportation is responsible for promoting transportation, Congress intuitively understood, well, if they've got to promote transportation, we don't want them responsible and and overseeing when there are safety issues, that creates a conflict. So they created the NTSB that overlooks When there are safety issues in transportation. Similarly, we have um, the the energy department, which promotes nuclear energy in the United States. And we Congress understood, well, if you got one agency promoting nuclear power, you should have a very completely separate and independent one, which they do, that oversees safety. But for some reason, and when it comes to the product injected into healthy babies, right, over and over again. There is no decoupling. The very department that's responsible for uh, promoting vaccines is also responsible for safety, and it's even worse because not only is there that normal conflict of promotion versus uh, having the obligation for promotion versus safety, they also must defend any injury from vaccine in, in vaccine court. That creates an, a really really dangerous conflict that should not be. And when understanding that paradigm in which federal health authorities have operated with regards to vaccine over the last 30 years, I think you also can see how they've operated when it came to the COVID vaccine and also why there is no moneyed interest that's been pushing with regards to vaccine safety. Now, normally you'd have at least the plaintiff's bar that would have an interest in fighting on this issue. They don't have an interest, class action attorneys, product liability attorneys, they've all been neutered when it comes to vaccines of all kinds. And so what you end up with is all the moneyed interests are all on one side of this line. And basically, there's nobody pushing. And so you've got this, you know, basically out of control narrative regarding vaccines that have elevated them to a status that it's almost um, creates, it's almost a, a, to the form of a belief. People have these belief in these products where you Oftentimes they can't even talk about it rationally because when you challenge people's beliefs, they react with emotion. They are just products at the end of the day made by companies, not, you know, and, and, and so it's unfortunate that those um, um, conversations can happen. And, and going all the way back to what you said about this judge and what this judge wrote, this judge has lived in a, in, in a country in which pretty much everything this judge has heard over the last 20 years has or fifty, especially as time has marched on, has come out of our federal health authorities, and that's all been positive, 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 and it's been on the airwaves from our pharmaceutical companies, and that's been positive, positive, positive. There are no commercials like you'll see for you know mesothelioma or other drugs. There are no uh, court decisions coming down showing the injuries. There is no truth coming out in our legal process, and none of that is going to happen when it comes to vaccines. And when it comes to the COVID nineteen vaccine. Uh, there's one additional layer that makes it even worse than everything I've just described, which is that, uh, you know, i say at least, but it's really a small consolation. At least you can go to vaccine court when you get injured by most other vaccines. With a COVID vaccine, you can't even go to vaccine court because of something called the PrEP Act. Okay. The secretary of HF, yet again, our federal health authorities have given Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, an even additional layer of immunity for any injuries. Not only do they have immunity, the normal immunity, but they actually, there's another layer of immunity th- that they've added that you can't even go to vaccine court. Um, and and I you know, I, I honestly, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have even thought to make this up if I could, right? If I tried to come up with something pernicious, I would never have dreamed this up, but it's true. Pfizer, Moderna and J&J can't even be sued for willful misconduct unless our federal health authorities or the DOJ agree and first bring that case. Think about that. That's an incredible, it's an incredible moral hazard. Pfizer could engage in essentially um, almost effectively purposefully wrongful conduct that vaccine could injure millions and you still couldn't sue them for it unless the very people who promoted this product, told, meaning the federal health authorities, told you it was safe, have staked their reputation on it, first agreed effectively that you could bring that suit. I, I can't think of a deeper and more dangerous conflict of interest. And it um, comes all the way back to why the government should never the last line on that train of safety, the last protection that every American has when it comes to these products, to any medical product, to any product, is the ability to say no. And if you can't say without government coercion, no, without losing your job or going to school or being excluded from civil society, then the liberty interests you think you have in this country, are, uh, they are, they're illusory.
1: Well, we will close with that and with one more remark from me, since you brought up all these good points about vaccine court, how the Department of Justice defends the pharmaceutical industry, basically, against these claims. The chief witness that worked for the government in defending the pharmaceutical companies against claims of autism and vaccines is a doctor named Andrew Zimmerman really world renowned pediatric neurologist from Johns Hopkins who you know, gladly by his own account defended vaccine, didn't think that they were linked to autism, but came to change his mind some years ago because he saw scientific evidence and evidence in his own patients, he says, that showed that some cases at least are caused, some cases of autism are caused by vaccination. And he says in a sworn affidavit filed in recent years, as you know, He said that he informed the Department of Justice lawyers because he was their expert witness, that he did not have the opinion any longer that vaccines can't cause autism, that sometimes they do. And he urged them not to misrepresent his opinion in court. What did they do? According to his sworn affidavit, they fired him as an expert witness, kept his information secret, and continued to misrepresent him in court cases about autism, saying falsely that his opinion was that there was no connection. Uh, He's filed an affidavit swearing to all of this in recent years. No action has been taken. The Department of Justice and Inspector General have decided not to act on it. The media didn't cover it much that I saw. I did a report on it. This is stunning. This is, you know, nobody more pro-vaccine than this pediatric neurologist who, in being an honest broker, was simply marginalized and fired from his job as an expert witness, and nobody even talks about that. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to com and just search Zimmerman. I've got his affidavit there. I've got the story that I did there. You won't find this information many other places. Again, just search Zimmerman. And I want to thank you, Aaron. You've really brought us a lot of clarity and important information about this complicated situation with the mandates and vaccines. So I appreciate it. Thank you. If you're interested in this topic and want to hear more from Aaron Seary, you can listen to my other podcast this week, the Cheryl Atkinson podcast, where he talks about his court battle trying to wrestle vaccine safety documents that we the public own and are entitled to see, trying to wrestle them from the hands of federal agencies that are keeping them secret. Hey everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. On today's podcast, if you're confused about the status of various vaccine mandates, you're not alone. We're going to take a deep dive with one attorney who is on the front lines in several of these important court battles.